I thought he was saying the temperature, 98 points. I think he said 98.6. No sevens. I remember it as 97.7. I thought he was saying, what's the average human temperature? I think 98.6, right? Yeah. 98.6 Jacuzzi FM. 97.7. I thought it was 97.7 It was cold tub. Yeah, because it wasn't a hot tub. But I thought it was like a room temperature tub, and that would be like your temperature. Room temperature yeah, is I know it's not, not 97, <laughs> but I just mean like person temperature because it's also not 97.7. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought it was a random ass number. Okay. He was very high. I don't think that he was thinking like, this is the average body temperature. 97.7 Jacuzzi FM. Yeah, that rolls off the tongue. All right. That's like if I'm in that place, if I'm in that zone, if Lock I just had a sexy pirate lady candy flip me. Uh, like seven times and all of that, I'd be like 97.7, mm-hmm. Jacuzzi FM. All right. Let's, I mean, we'll go with it. Uh, how's your, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm trying to, you know what? I'm just like constantly just trying to figure out how to make things better. I see that. I see you're scooching, you're rotating even. It's, well, it's about ergonomics. It's like, yeah. it's weird to not look at you and talk. You're sitting in a giant, beanbag chair yeah it's awesome is that an official love sack or is it no this is off brand off brand off brand Ooh, you're going off label off script i did um my college friend had a had an official right full-on love sack i think that we have we spoken about the love sack yes we've spoken about the love sack yeah. I've, I've participated in a love sack they it's good it's good. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. They know how to make giant beanbags. They do know how to make giant beanbags. I don't like the term sack. Don't love sack. Yeah. I don't love being like, hey, hop in. Hop in the sack. Don't like it. Yeah. Not. It does not roll off the tongue. That is not 97.7. Jacuzzi FM. No, yeah. I mean, like, maybe that's part of why I don't like Sacramento. Big sack. Because they call it sack. They do call it sack. And that's unfortunate. I think that there them. are probably a lot of reasons to not like Sacramento. Sorry, yeah, that's Sacramento. One of them. Maybe email I don't heart radio pod at gmail.com with like, I love sack. And yeah. Explain to me the values <laughs> of your city and you could change my mind. Change my mind on sack. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, we're just out here stating opinions, looking for some input from the internet, from the ether. We're just throwing, I mean, we're our, throwing it out. We're throwing it out. We have a Podbean account. This, you know, this exists. Look at this exist. It's very good. Uh, you are a goblin. Yeah. Oh, I've just You've been just refreshing. Been have you ever just been waiting for an email and you just like refresh, 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 refresh for like days on end? Yeah, I mean, um, I have. I think other people have. I think that it's a universal goblin feeling. Yeah. That's what we're, do- we're doing, like, y- you know, outreach right now. Yeah. Goblin outreach. Are you refreshing your email 40,000 times a day? Call 1-800-GOBLIN <laughs> for your goblin support hotline. Uh, we can work through this together. Uh, you know, you've just got, like, all these goblin urges. Oh, there's a... This is totally unrelated. Yeah, that's fine. There's a new thing in my house this morning. Yeah, what you got? Well, there's there's 
Did I tell you anything about how we were afraid the next door neighbor was in the trunk of his car? No. Okay, so there's a there's a abandoned house next to my house. This guy right. from Atlanta bought it, and he's been slowly fixing it up for like two years. Mm-hmm. But then a few months ago, his car appeared, and then he disappeared. Hell but yeah. he has like a very nice car. Like it's too nice to just leave. Yeah. Here, it's like. I don't I don't know car yeah. brands. It's right. a nice car. It's a nice it's, car. It's an expensive car. Um and he left it at the abandoned house and it's just been sitting there for like two, two and a half months. So my housemate started to like get suspicious and everyone started theorizing about how he could have gotten he could have well the, the theories went he fell through the floor because it's kind of like you know, falling yeah. it's a falling apart abandoned house. So like he was fixing it up, fell through the floor, he's just dead in the house. Then there was a theory that he was you know, someone came over uh and like killed him and put him in the trunk of his car. Uh-huh. Um and because people were like, How has that car not gotten stolen? Right. Um so so we had we just spent like a few weeks like bouncing theories off each other. This and actually then, ties in really great with the episode, by does the way. It really? Yeah, I love the synchronicity. <laughs> I I just have to mark that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um we will so my husbands and I spent theory weeks bouncing theories off each other. Um so that you know, finally we were like, all right, someone should really check on this guy. We did someone does have his number. So we texted yeah. him and he texted back like, I'm not dead, I'm just in Atlanta. Uh-huh. And so immediately we were like, so someone has his phone, you know? Yeah, yeah, someone yeah. Someone yeah. killed him. They have his phone. But we still didn't do anything about it. We were like, well. Rip. Rip. Rip Atlanta neighbor. But then uh, he reappeared today. He's oh, alive. he's back. He just left his car He there. left his car. He's very lucky, I guess. That's he's just very, a lucky man. That's dumb. That he's the opposite of dead. Stupid? <laughs> yeah. Is that the opposite <laughs> that of dead? You're either dead or stupid. <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, dude. Um, I wouldn't leave my car there. I'm not a paranoid guy either. Yep. But don't just like leave a car. No, no, it's not the it's not the neighborhood. That's for sure. I think all neighborhoods you don't just leave a car. Right. You gotta move it around a little uh-huh. bit. Like even if or it has a... to be so broken and shitty that like yes. clearly no one wants your stupid car. Like uh, my the methodology. Car, yeah, the car that lasted for the longest. I lived with um. This guy named Dan in Corktown, the very beginning, when I first moved to Detroit, and he had this super broken junker that, like, fully broke while he lived there, and he got a new car, and it just was, like, it was broken in front of our house, like, unmovable, and it was the only car that never got stolen, because yeah. everyone's everyone's cars in front of my house got, like, stolen, mine got stolen, some of my other housemates got stolen, they got at least broken into, this car, untouched, it was just, Beautiful. like, so, so obviously... A junk. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I'm mm-hmm. all dented up. I, my trash. parents wanted me to fix the dents from the uh, guy hitting my car. And I was like, I think that that's, you know. Now it's very unattractive. Exactly. It's They're like, like, yeah, that's the problem. That's why you need to fix it. I'm like, for who? For me? I need to be. Why? I, when, I, when so I like a sexy, sexy. Com- yeah. My, <laughs> my giant, giant, ridiculous 4250. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I I like a sexy computer, you know? Yeah, you like a thin. I like a thin, sleek. I can see why. Uh, anemic. Yeah, I like I like a computer that needs a little iron in its diet, you know? 
computer that won't fight back, you know? (laughs) But, um, you know, I don't give a shit about cars. Right. Sorry, car people. This isn't the podcast for you. Sorry if you thought this was Jay Leno's garage. I'm not Jay Leno. Um, You're not Jay Leno. Welcome welcome to the pod. We're both not Jay Leno. So... Anyway, not fixing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, no, let your car be shitty. Mm-hmm. For the good of... It's a security measure. I'm letting its freak flag fly. We should, uh, we should run like a gentrification uh, security... A seminar? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and like have rich people hire us to just like mm-hmm. smash the shit out of their cars. Look, like, no one wants is, to know. <laughs> this, is, this is no... You're no longer Problem a high fixed. value target. Someone stole the radio out of my car. Years ago. Just leave it. I just left it. Yep. There's just a now hole. Now there's no radio. If you look in my car, there's a dent on the side and there's a hole in the car. Yep. There's a... De- this is a very undesirable vehicle now. And mm-hmm. the trick to like maintaining your urban safety is <laughs> to be undesirable. That's what I go for. Yeah. Every day. That's why I'm not showering. Yep. I'm just <laughs> cultivating an undesirable stench. I've done that. I do that very regularly. I'm familiar. We're very uh, fuck off. <laughs> We're a bunch of undesirable people here. So uh, I'm Scott Murphy. I'm Summer Krinsky. And this is I Don't Heart Radio, a podcast about how this could be your favorite band. You just gave me the biggest glare for messing that. Up. <laughs> oh, Come sorry, on. branding. I'm sorry. This could be your favorite band. We have to brand. We are our own. We are a walking, talking ambassador of the brand at all times. Yes. There is nothing but brand. There's only a brand. You thought you had a personality? Wrong. No. It's your brand. brand. You thought you chose what you wear, wear to work? Did you just no, say it's... weared? <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> You've been... <laughs> but that's my brand, you see? Uh, you see, you thought, you thought that was a uh, misstep. tired fumbly bad at word this is brand this is my brand this is who i am what did you wear yesterday (laughs) what did i say the other day i said something um instead of phase i was like so tired and i said like the full the (laughs) fillets hell yeah (laughs) gotta flip the (laughs) fillets oh this is sad you're turning into goo. Ah, it's, it happens from time to time. Yeah. But that's my brand. I'm My brand, Your brand is, is goo. goo. I'm goo branded. Check the label. Hashtag. Check the nutritional facts. Goo. Okay. So, so <laughs> we're going to talk about music and other stuff. All right? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about what should be your next favorite ba- band. Mm, contagious. Next favorite brand. All right? Okay. Okay, so when I'm doing the research for this, mm-hmm. I basically go and I, I have some parameters, some secret parameters, so that it's not in a total like barrage. Yeah, you're like of, a Facebook algorithm. You don't tell us how you're generating this content, but we're it, but we, it, we it, get hints. There's you know? a there's a large pool. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, I basically I. I wait the week and then I go and I listen to kind of everything that's come out over the week. And this last week, 
really fucking weak sauce. Damn. Okay. Like, uh, I think, you know, Kendrick put out the album like the prior week and then everyone just went, well, we're not going to. We're going to delay our releases because everyone's clearly. And and it was just the world over. Like there were a couple like usually I have to like listen to stuff and I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, you're an industry plant, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm hmm. Industry plants weren't even like repping super hard this they week. They got the they got the memo. They got the memo, and then there were some there were some industry plants. There's like a sub pop record that just came out. Sounds like shit. Sounds really like super fucking bad. Uh, Come on, sub pop. So it was it was really lackluster, and I was going through everything. And I was like, this is disappointing. This is disappointing. Mix bad. Mix bad. Because, you know, that's the first thing in my flow chart. Like, is your mix good? And it's just, oh, bad, 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 bad. Then I click on an album. And it's not just good. It's fantastic. It's really, really, really good mix. Okay? Okay. And I've listened to a couple hundred albums at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's like an oasis. So I got to, you know, the next step is like, let's learn more. They are sitting under uh, that like 2000 Spotify monthly listener mark, uh, relatively low engagement on Instagram, like all of the things that I like to find in a band that I want to like talk about. Okay. But they are Zoomers. They refuse to myth make. And that's what I want to talk about today. What do you mean they refuse to myth-make? They refuse to myth-make. Myth-making, I think, is one of the most important parts of being an artist or being a musician. Yeah. I think that it's I think it's a thing that makes your uh your music, your art connect on a human level because there is the archetypal myth. A Joseph Campbell hero's journey thing that appeals to all people. Everything is always myth totally. as it's presented in the media. And I think that, I, I don't think that, I'm, I'm not going to be like a boomer. I don't think it's a generational thing. I think that it's when you're young, you don't want to myth make uh, because it's, you know, phony to a degree. Do you think you don't want to or you're just kind of like living in the present and not like zooming out as much? That could be it too, but there's so Zoomers not zooming. Zoomers not zooming out. And the thing is is that in the past we had like a bureaucracy and an administrative state in the music industry that basically would teach young people how to myth make right that is what your your pr person is for and now you're your own pr person you're your own pr person you're your own agent you're your own manager you're your own label like all of those things and that could be really cool but you have to you have to know that you gotta you gotta commit to the myth but i guess i mean i would say like all of what is kind of like the bio of our band and the um, description of the intentions of the music, that kind of all, it, it all always existed, but it actually got written out um, only through having to write grant art uh, applications and have, having to put those thoughts into words on the paper, you know? So, like, 
I understand how it can be. You can be just so busy making the art that you're not, and you haven't, you have like a lot of thoughts behind what the intentions are, but yeah. to actually take that next step to craft a storyline and explanation narrative is, uh, sometimes takes a little kick in the ass. Yeah. Oh, and I'm not saying that it's easy or that it's, uh, that it's apparent, uh-huh. but it's, uh, it's a thing that I think is taken for granted because a lot of the things that we look up to, they they had someone else do it for them totally, to yeah. a degree or someone has done it themselves. And sometimes they're shit monsters, but mm-hmm. they're able to, you know, glom on. What's to your the... what's your favorite like myth made artist of like mainstream? Oh, Bowie. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the perfect like touchstone of let's Let's craft an entire persona for each individual album that then people can, you know, attach their own meaning to. And also it's a filter through which this art is funneled. Uh Uh-huh. Fucking very good at that. Yeah. Um, This album is by Home Phone. Okay. Home Phone. Home Phone. It's a good name. Their bio is unable to text, please call. This I like is it. that. This is their. That, oh, I like that. You don't like that? Oh, I mean, I like it, but there's also. There's a very good album. There's this bio. Mm-hmm. And it's very good. It's called Melancholy. It's very, very, very good. Okay. It sounds great. The first five tracks on it are like perfect. And then it kind of slumps off a little bit in production on like the back half, but you know, indie band problems. And then that said, I would never like say something like that when I'm talking about a band uh-huh. usually, but I also have almost nothing to work with because they've only given me unable to text, please call. And then I had to cyberstalk members of the band. <laughs> uh, when did they put this album out? This uh, was it this week? came out like a couple of days ago. Oh, maybe they're on their way. Maybe you're about to get more information on. Maybe there's gonna be there's more some, stuff. Yeah, it sounds like they're a pretty fresh band. Was there anything before the album? Uh, they released five singles over mm-hmm. the last year. Uh, they're out of Salt Lake City. They played a Ukraine fundraiser with Backhand. Oh, Backhand. Backhand. What up, Backhand? They understand myth making. Uh huh. Greatest band in the world. Yep. Greatest band. Uh, so, you know, Utah's toughest team, Utah's toughest team. Uh, we're the best band in Utah though. Oh yeah. That's what I'm going to do from now on. (laughs) We're going to, you're trying to unmake their myth. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the fun of myth making. That's Uh having a psychic battle with Jimmy Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Uh huh. you gotta. Totally. Okay. So this band, home phone. It fucking ruled. the mm-hmm. The album is really, really good. They did uh, a music video. A monster chases someone. You know, it's like cute indie band stuff. Yeah, they're early twenties. Uh, Issa has a very cute boyfriend. Uh, that's the focus of their personal Instagram and a dog. Okay, you've done some serious stalking here. Uh, <laughs> yep. And uh, Joe is twenty two. He just turned twenty two. Okay. Yep. Okay. I feel this is so. Yeah. This feels bad, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> because they haven't cultivated uh-huh. a thing to be focused on. Yeah. So yeah. the only thing that's left, it because they're they're the band Instagram just links to their Instas. It's uh-huh. just unable to text. Please call at Isa at Joe. So yeah. it's like, well, I'm gonna click it because I found your music, and well, I need something. So 
now I know you've got a cute dog and a cute boyfriend, and it was just your birthday. This is what you've given us. Uh, and I think I so that's why I think that myth making is super important because otherwise I'm just a creep. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, giving people something to glom onto that's like, it is you, but it's a kind of um, distorted, like, funhouse mirror of you. Like, that's how, um, I mean, because I'm a huge, huge fan of Broad City. And uh, I think that, like, that's how Alana and Abby have described the characters in Broad City, that they're like... It's it's obviously based on their personalities and who they are as people, but it's like hyper also real. Hyper real. It's like those people that are in Broad City couldn't have made Broad City because they're like a little too high, you know? <laughs> like like it's clearly who they were at one point in their early twenties and Or then... like a slight exaggeration mm-hmm. of it. But the thing is, is that when you when you're watching it, that that hyper reality actually feels more real. Totally. To to like a, because you're you're creating something that's slightly larger than life. Uh-huh. That's able to be the big tent that uh, like a passive viewer can experience the lens of reality through. It's super important. Yeah, and I think that, like, part of the reason that they were so easy for, like, a lot of... I I mean, I think that a lot of people like them. I don't mean to say that it's just... But, like, a lot of women my age, I think, really connected with that show because it it encapsulated what it means to have a best... Like, a best friend. Yeah. Like, a girl best friend that you spend your early 20s kind of, like, running around with, doing... Just getting into, like, ridiculous situations that then you have to get yourself out of. And... Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, being able to craft that hyper real, it's really, it's so, it's so, um, underrated how hard it is because it's one thing to be like, these are aspects of who I am. Yes. But then to perfectly tune which ones you turn up or down and what, um, what is representative okay so like when i toured with the accidentals um doing monitors for a week they um they're like big on realizing that you know they're they're all really into uh reading and science and they consider themselves nerds um in in a good way you know right and um but they they accentuate that part of themselves on stage and they talk about it in their stories, they talk about it with how, you know, that's like part of what their lyrics will be based around. And um, then their merch will sometimes reflect that too. And that was kind of a lesson I took from learning, from uh, touring with them was that um, I kind of, I got back from that tour. Remember, I was like, what is, what's the brand? What's the brand? Yeah. yeah. What is the brand? And, and my answer at the time, I mean, it still is a part of it. It's actually the shirt I'm wearing right now was uh, there's a song off the first EP called If You're Not Weird, You're Not Honest. And the brand is weird. Like, it's being weird. It's being... Um, right, freedom through... Through expression. individuality, yeah. expression of, you know, who you are. Um, and so people always connect. I would say the name of that song before we play it. We haven't been playing it in the set these days, but I used to say the name before, and people would always bring it up after. I noticed, like, that's a thing that people would connect with. They'd be like, what is... I really like the name of that song. 
Mm-hmm. And so then we put it on sweatshirts, which I am currently rocking. And and we've very, we're cleaned out of them. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I and mean... that's, but I think that that is, people that connected with the music connect with that theme because the music is about that. And the music is, uh, it's not just like lyrically about that. It's uh, the actual aesthetic is being the music itself is weird <laughs> yes it's it's honest to who i am um right and so a, having <laughs> having a driving ideal helps i think the artist create things in a concise manner and mm-hmm. also the audience is able to connect with it through that specific lens yeah so when you boil something down into like a statement or a uh, you know, catchphrase. Yeah. Then you're able to actually expand. Like it seems reductive, but it's actually expansive. Totally, totally. It's like making a thesis statement about what you're. Yeah. What are you about? I I think that exactly what you said is. I think people are uh afraid of doing that because of the possibility. It's because it does sound reductive on its on the surface. It's right. Like, oh, am I gonna am won't. I gonna get stuck into this thing? But then you know the fact of the matter is that you can always change you your thesis. It. You yeah. can make a new one. Uh-huh. Like again, going back to Bowie, like mm-hmm. the, each album in the seventies was a new thesis, was a new persona, was a new distilled sentence. Yeah, uh, and that's always available. People get so st- like stuck into thinking that they're stuck. <laughs> Yeah, uh, fear of committing to uh, anything because it, it's, I mean, there's like a, on the, it's like people being feared, to, f- afraid of committing to a relationship, but you could always end that relationship, you know? Right. Um, and I think that um, if you, you can live your life without ever committing to a relationship. I'm just, as a, like, uh, sure, metaphor. But, as a metaphor, yeah. But you, you will never, like, have as deep of connections if you do that uh hedgehog's dilemma it's yeah so that was yeah we were just talking about hedgehog's dilemma which uh do you want to explain oh yeah so it's uh it's schopenhauer it's the it's the concept of like hedgehogs need to huddle against each other for warmth and like oh we want to be warm but they're also covered in quills so they you know they poke each other so you're you're risking harm uh in exchange for warmth that is the hedgehog's dilemma. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's a me- metaphor for the risks that come with human intimacy and the rewards, but I think it's the same thing for, I mean, I think it also... Creating intimacy with your art. With your art, with your audience, with um, with yourself in a weird way. Um, yeah. Like, who am I right now? And then accepting that that can change. Right, or it doesn't change, but that just means that you're still just being in. yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I I was thinking, you know, who kind of like in the in the pop sphere because I think that there's so there's like just always a churn, right, of new pop artists, oh, right, yeah. that are just kind of like. But I mean, that on... said, like within the pop churn, I think that because there is that that limited budget for a and r yeah there is a heavy focus on myth making within that space and Mm -hmm. it's kind of where we get into like style over substance problems where like this (laughs) the myth matters more than the the myth matters more than the content yeah and 
people in marketing understand the power of myth and then uh, they're able to just overemphasize it to just push something out. Right. And so I think that for like an indie artist, um, like Home Phone, if you just do a little bit of myth making, then you're actually able to, because it's it's competitive. You're just, I think that Because your music stands out, but if you're, if you didn't. Uh, because you, Home Phone yeah. should be ruling this week. Uh-huh. Is is what I'm saying. Like it was a week of just e- on every level because everyone went like nah on mm-hmm. on releasing this week. This should be all home phone all the time. Yeah, yeah. Because this album is that good, but unable to text. Please call. Yeah, I mean, I still I think that's a good catch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can. Yeah. But there's no there's expansion. Nothing, yeah, like uh, yeah. If we and were to. But I was going to say, on, in pop sphere, because people do, okay, so it's like, there's a huge A&R eff- emphasis on the myth-making side of, but also I think it's still hard to make a good myth, in that, like, if your myth is just like, I was a Nashville singer, and then this person from Sony right. found me, and, like, that's a bad myth, you know? I, I guess there's a lot of bad myths in the pop sphere that get them, that are just like, um they get lost in the churn and someone I think that really understands the internet and myth making who has risen above that is Doja Cat. Doja Cat understands the myth. She totally understands the myth, but it's also because I did sound for her right before. So I did sound for her when she came through Detroit and played L club. And that was like a sold out, you know, 500 ish person show. And, uh, now she's doing way bigger places. And, she was right on that cusp, but it was having met her. It's it was totally the broad city thing, the personality. There's nothing fake going on there. It's an accentu- accentuating what's already a personality. Yes. Um, like super weird, like sexual personality, but but like that is her personality, and then she understands how to play that on the internet and how to. Well, it's a it's a way to a uh, Doja Cat is like engaging with yeah. an audience mm-hmm. through that persona and through that lens. Like yeah. there is pretty constant engagement, uh, right? Yeah, and um, she's not like because I feel like there's like sexy pop artist mm-hmm. is, th- I mean, endless. There's just an endless oh, supply yeah, yeah. of sexy pop artists, but. There's only one bitch I'm a cow. There is only one bitch I'm a cow. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, are you ready to fucking blast off? I'm ready. Because to this blast is off. this is yeah, actually yeah, yeah. like this is going to be the best episode uh-huh. of the pod. Wait, yeah. So earlier you said that this somehow relates to us thinking that my neighbor could be in the trunk of his car. Yeah, oh, because you're all you're sitting in your house, you're you're myth making uh-huh. about your neighbor. You're oh. myth making about everyone that you meet because that's where the human mind goes. Right. Something happens and we have to explain it through story and through legend and myth and conflict and uh it's it's not bad. It's yeah, good. Yeah, like if I told it's you like the beautiful thing about the human mind. If I just came in here and I was like my neighbor's car has been sitting at his house for for two months. 
you'd be like, okay. Yeah. Like, why are you telling? That's a bad story. That's a bad fucking story, dude. Yeah. Because that that is like that is all the information that you have. Right. That 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 is. That's, <laughs> Technically, that's all I know. That's all you know. But if we don't extrapolate on it, it's very boring. Now that said, that's that is a logical fallacy. It's like when you look at a like a piece of data. Um, uh, I I was just watching something and. Uh, it was like the difference between um, like millennial political affiliations in that like 54% of men are Democrats and, you know, 48% are Republicans and 72% that doesn't of... Add up. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not doing math right now. But okay. oh, the, the gist of it is like, like, like let's make it easy. Uh-huh. 51% of men uh-huh. are Democrats, 49% are Republicans, yes. 70% of women are Democrats and 30% of women are Republicans. Sure. Okay. Okay. And then uh, there was a, uh, someone extrapolated on that study and said that that means that women are more opinionated. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, Both of these are opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so the thing is, is that because the number was, there was more women who were Democrats, they just went like bigger number so more opinionated but it's uh, the only thing that we're actually getting from that data is that uh there are just more you know and it doesn't say anything about how you present yourself yeah more opinionated that's i mean both of those are an opinion it's an opinion to yes yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah. no it's wrong uh-huh. you know like that that's wrong uh, those are equal 100% of people in this study have an opinion Right. Everyone's opinionated. <laughs> and there there would be, you know, a separate study would be, you know, how vocal or how engaged right. the, like people are. Uh-huh. That would be that would be something you could extrapolate that data mm-hmm. from. Um now that said, this p- particular commentator who said that stupid thing has super high engagement because they're making a myth out right. of this data. Yeah, because y- because selling that's what a we want. summary, selling a summary that people can connect to, that people can take a, a message out of, is so powerful. Yeah, and so that is wrong, and that's a lie, and that's bad and dumb, et cetera, uh-huh. et cetera. But isn't it actually more dumb to not be able to connect with an audience? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, shouldn't we just be... Uh, con- uh, constantly hyping this thing or finding a way. Well, I think you can honestly myth make. I mean, that's why I get get. I go to the Broad City, even though they're not in music. It's just that they are. That whole show is just so honest to who they clearly are, but mm-hmm. it's also simultaneously. Fictional obviously fictional could right. not be real most of these are not based on true events and same thing <laughs> when you come in and you're like i think that my neighbor is in my car i'm like tell me more right and uh, and you know you you did the due diligence of being like yo bro are, are you, you in your car you murdered uh but the thing is is that we can't just live our lives in a in a fact machine you know it's boring it's boring to experience life in that way no, I think that the the thing is we don't even experience life in that way because uh, it would be impossible to, I mean, so this is kind of the thing when people ask 
how, uh, like, how does it feel to trip on mushrooms, right? Right. Okay, hold on. I'm going to work my way back. Don't worry. Okay. So, yeah, no, take take us down. This is, this is the best episode ever. This is the best episode ever. This is the best episode of anything that's ever gone on the internet. Um, okay. If you trip on mushrooms, it's basically... Like all of your senses, your five senses that you're getting all the time. Ooh, mm-hmm. I've touched, I feel, I taste, I smell. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> you have to have a filtration system or you wouldn't be able to exist in the world. Right. You'd the just world be... is frightening as fuck. Well, it's yes. loud, it's scary, there's creatures, there's, things want to you need to survive. Get you. you have to eat. You Ugh. have to eat. Yeah, there's you have to eat, you have to fuck. There's so much to do. So to be a functional person in a functional society, to be a functional creature of any kind, you need to have some mechanism in your brain that distills the barrage of senses into what is important right now, what deserves my attention right now, you know? Um, when I am sitting in a chair like I am currently, mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about the feeling of my butt pushing down on the chair or the chair pushing up on my butt until I start talking about it. And uh, now yes. I'm thinking about it. Now you're thinking about it. Now everyone's thinking about it that's listening. Um, and basically, tripping on shrooms is removing the filter that is saying uh, what is important to me in this moment. And instead, you're suddenly just intensely experiencing all of the senses. Yes. Filter free. Okay. Now, where was I going with this? I'm I'm going to try to... Bring us back. Oh, boy. Take us back to the best episode ever. Okay, yeah. So, so what is a f- the filter mechanism, you know, in your brain? Uh-huh. I don't, I don't know exactly what the... Uh, I don't know if you know. I'm, I'm not... I'm no, no scientist. But, Science um, nerds, email, I don't heart I don't think pod. they know. I don't <laughs> think anyone knows. I think that they do. Mm. Okay. Email. Email. But anyway... Whatever it is, what it's doing, what the thing is, the function, is Uh that it's summarizing a narrative. Yes. So the narrative right now is uh, it's taking all of these five, these inputs. Yep. And then it's making a summary for you to function with. Yes. And it is, it has to be story driven. It is like the reason that we tell stories is because that's how we're in, like our biological. You couldn't. Uh, react in real time to events happening in front of you if you weren't getting summaries. If you yes. weren't getting, um, you know, a, a, it's like you're 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 getting the um, say summary again. Well, I I was gonna say you uh, for your crypto mines the DCA. You're getting the like you're taking the derivative or integral whatever whichever direction Uh you're taking under the line you're taking the i think it's the derivative i forget of Mm. what's happening in the moment yes um you have to because you're you're not getting the your processing power isn't not enough to experience it all and actually come to a conclusion in the amount of time to react all that to say because you were like life is boring without it Without beyond having narrative-driven storytelling, but life is not just boring. It doesn't work. It's unfunctional. It's not functional. Yes. I mean, it's part of it. It's like it's an evolutionary mechanism. It, it, we have to be able to tell stories. Yes. To and be I humans. Think that, I think that we have to be able to tell. So, I think that 
crossing into functional the the fine line between being able to function and being able to be like entertained with your life mm-hmm. we have to dive into myth and making stuff up and being a charlatan being a con artist all right oh is this is this the second section oh we're i mean we're going because again home phone should be the top selling album of this week like by all objective means of like who was best okay like i'm just saying like because usually i don't uh you know i don't go like oh this album is good and therefore i want to talk about it mm-hmm. this album is great and it should be i want to talk about it because it's great and okay. it should be objectively the top album of this week because everyone else just put out dog shit okay you know it's an easy yeah. pool to win from but they're not making stuff up yeah you know yeah. uh so uh my fucking computer is going to die and I actually took wrote notes in an outline. So wow. just hold hold this thought. Late May. You know, best mm-hmm. indie rock album, you know? So you know the word charlatan? I know the word charlatan. Yeah, it gets tossed out a lot. You're charlatan. You charlatan? Uh like uh, uh any any idea of like the the root of it? Not a clue. Okay, cool. Take a take a fucking guess. Charlatan. Charlatan? Charlatan. <sighs> some lady named Charla was like doing some feminist stuff in a town in 1863. She was called a witch and a charlatan. And that is my summary guess of what and they they put her they made her walk the plank. Uh-huh. Into um a body of water, and she drowned, and that's why I think the word charlatan exists. Rip, Charla. Damn, that is so big. I did not read the book, Book Report Energy. Thank you. But the thing is, is the confidence. I was drawn into the story. Yeah. I appreciated the myth-making. I Did you feel for Charla in this I did. You did a whole thing. Poor Charla. She Mm -hmm. was just doing that feminist shit in the 1800s. They don't like her. Which was probably just existing uh-huh you know uh out in public good for charla don't rape me and my friends fucking charlatan, charlatan. uh that is not the root uh of charlatan though okay. you are wrong okay but i do i was wondering if i got close and then it would be not really weird. even close okay charlatans were street performers in france in the early 1600s they were lying and they were selling fake medicine but they were also performers. Wait. <laughs> so like like goop shit? Yeah, like goop shit. Like, okay. you know, this is magic rose water. Uh-huh. Put it in your butt. You'll live to the ripe old age of 35. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like Song and Dance Man. That's where it comes from. Uh, the, the whole like... Uh, what was the thing in early America? Uh, snake oil salesman. Ah, yes, yes, okay? a classic. Like you're selling fake medicine, but you're also putting on a show. It's kind of like how Liam doesn't trust ma- magicians, right? He's <laughs> very freaked out by them. And I think that that's really important because, like, when people say like charlatan, it's like to say that like you're lying. 
uh, you know, you're bad, uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. And like you are, but also you're putting on a show. Okay. You yeah, are yeah, yeah. performing. You've inhabited this character. And for the people of France, like they saw them as performers. Like some people would be like, yeah, I'll put the rose water in my butt. And they're dumb. Uh-huh. You know, they they bought it. They they did it. But the thing that like everyone enjoyed was the performance. Right. Well, and I mean, that's like it's it's a that's it's a dangerous line because I would consider like Donald, Alex Jones. Oh, I was going to say Donald Trump. Alex oh, Jones. Both. One in the same yes. of just of like wild. If they were just performing, if they that were would just be fucking playing great. a performance art role, they are characters. Right. right? And but the fact that then they're taken seriously and uh that's bad in places of any sort of influence um is bad very concerning it's concerning but that i guess it, again like i think that's media literacy like people don't understand people don't understand the difference between entertainment and reality uh-huh. and i think that so the thing is that i think that when you are presenting a like a persona that is false you're actually teaching people more about the reality of society because you're because people are like pretending to be something so you know that people do that right yeah you know and, and we've kind of stripped I'm a that. showman I, he's a showman i'm not running for office though right maybe and i think that that's kind of that's like a problem now because there's such like a uh uh, a highlight on authenticity, right? Like in in persona and branding and all of that. But the thing is, is that like that's inauthentic. Yeah, to, you're not just off. You're not just authentic all the time. You're you're lying. You're selling something. You mean you're saying being pushing authenticity in branding is inauthentic within itself? Yes, uh-huh. and that's the warping of the psyche. Where where people are just like they're making this assumption that people are just honest all the time, uh huh, and that isn't true. They're they're sell they're selling you they're lying to make money. Well, and I mean they don't necessarily have to be directly lying. Like you don't have to be. Alex saying, Jones is lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think Alex Jones is necessarily the. Well, no, I think know, that Alex Jones of... is like the pinnacle of it because they took Alex Jones from us because. Was the, Alex Jones ever ours? Yes. I oh think my that god! Unfortunately, there were people that always took him seriously. Yes, there were, but no, in mass. Uh huh. Okay, that's what—that's the moment where it stopped being fun. Right. Because right now, there's a clip on YouTube of Alex Jones just striking down a drone with a sword. He's just full of that middle-aged man energy, and it is—it's the best thing that I've found. In the last like, yeah. If four it was months. purely it a filled comedy me with bit, so much joy. If it was purely a comedy bit, it would be genius comedy. But the problem is, is both he takes himself seriously, and so does a large part of the, the population. The population, yes, but, that is bad. But the thing is, is that everyone being like, I'm authentic all the time. I think it has distorted our view of reality in which we we have kind of as a cultural lexicon we've just forgotten that people can lie to us yeah (laughs) okay uh and that's that's bad like i think that people have to lie to us to remind us that we are being lied to Uh and i think that that's an important public service to have charlatans 
in the public square. Well, and I mean, I think that there's, I think there's degrees of lying to us. Like, is is are the Broad City actresses are they lying to us when they're like putting together this? story about two people oh. that are basing off of themselves that are totally heightened versions. Yes, I mean, it's a lie. Like I, like I said, you could not make such an amazing show because the amount of time and energy and planning and uh, it's just, it's so difficult to write, direct, star, yes, uh, promote. Like a show like that um, is only made by people that are very dedicated, very committed. They're not, they, yeah. you just could not be super high all the time. And that's fiction. I, I mean, that is fiction. Right, right. So is that, like, that is a degree of, that is, uh, they are, you're lying by hyperbolizing. Right. So I'm talking about people that are, like, out in the in the public sphere. Like, you're uh-huh. out and about. Uh, you know, because we live in, like, a reality show world. Okay. okay. And the thing is, is that, Musicians have always been able to inhabit this place because you're going and you're performing and your works aren't inherently fictional because you're not making a TV show, you're not making a movie. You are, in, you are as a musician, constantly inhabiting a persona. Yeah. Okay, and you do interviews, you do press, like you write up your bio, you're your own PR agent, and you're existing in the real world, but you're presenting art. So I think that there's a very unique position that you have as a public face in which you can be doing art uh, and uh, lying. <laughs> lying? Lying. I, well, I don't know about lying. Myth-making. I think you can be myth-making. I think myth-making. That, well, so I think there's a difference between lying and myth-making. I think when Alex Jones is just being a ridiculous human being who's uh, destroying a drone with his sword and he's, uh, you know, I think Cursing that, Jeff Bezos. Cursing yeah. Jeff Bezos. I think that is myth-making because yes. that's his personality heightened, right? Yeah. Or maybe it's just his personality. But then when he's selling you, like, I think you cannot, you can edit out the snake oil salesman part of it. Like, when he's selling you supplements that don't work and telling you that they're going to make you you know, totally bigger boner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. Um, when when you're selling, it's one thing to sell something that aligns with your brand and mission and personality, mm-hmm. but it's another thing to know something doesn't work and then be selling it. I think you can. Right, but I think that it's an important. I, I still like that is lying, uh-huh. like the charlatan selling rose water to make you live forever. Yeah, uh, you know. That is a lie, but it's also a public service because they are performing in the public eye and the public sphere. And I think that the separation of, like, the the acknowledgement of liars within public discourse uh-huh. has made it so that people are, like, more easily suckered. The lack of an acknowledgement, you're saying? Yes, of liars in the public discourse. Yes. Yeah. Like we have to let them exist. Well, I think they're existing. They are existing. No one's stopping but, them I mean, from existing. Well, I can't find my fucking Alex Jones clips anymore. Like they, <laughs> there is like there is something about. Uh, you mean we've censored the absolute like? Yes. Dangerous level lie of like you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it is. Where does the conversation, uh, yeah, where, 
where is the conversation useful? I don't know, but what happens when... When they do the terrorist attack because yeah. they got lied to a lot. Right. Yeah, that's bad. Well, that no, is and a I'm bad a, outcome. Yeah, right. That is a bad outcome, mm-hmm. but also the reason that they were able to... I th- So, okay, big galaxy brain yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the floral shop owners that went and bought first-class tickets and went and like did that terrorist attack at the U.S. Capitol... I think that they were able to be lied to so effectively because of the, they just believed what was on the internet. Right. Because the way that we've positioned the modern brand identity is that everything you are being told is true. Uh huh. You know, we've removed the idea of a charlatan of a con man well and i guess we also uh we've taken out the incentive for truth because when someone says like i lied everyone goes like shun boo bad no one's like oh thanks for you know thanks for acknowledging it yeah yeah you have to always double down that's why i mean that was what was amazing to watch about donald trump is that he uh never Never. Never said sorry. Never said I was wrong. Never. And I think that's a horrible quality to. Yes, uh, it's bad. Reward. You know? But the thing, yeah, but you can't be like, I'm lying, I'm putting on a show. Uh-huh. Because that destroys the, what, like for the public now, that destroys the illusion. You know, the moment that you drop the act or that it it's like, oh, this is make believe. Yeah. Uh, your your chaos like, magic spell is broken. It's broken. It's no longer in effect, and you can't. Uh, and, and they abandon you. Uh-huh. And the thing is, is that you have to. There's a whole important part of the ecosystem in which there is like just a known charlatan out and about, just doing their thing, and every you know people know. I read this book once about a magician. I, I wish I could think of the name right now. Um. A magician that uh, I found it because I like uh, Pete Holmes and he had a podcast and this magician was on the podcast because he sent Pete Holmes this book and then Pete Holmes like read it on tour when and then he was like this is like a random unknown magician that used to tour. Mm-hmm. I mean he wasn't fully unknown. He used to tour in like the college circuits. Yeah. Okay. And then he went. He was feeling. He was like a. He had achieved what what is very hard for a magician and a musician and any sort of artist is, uh, you know, a, a sustainable paid career, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he quit to refine. Well, he didn't quit magic. He, like, quit the college circuit that he was on getting paid, like, quite a, quite a lot to tour as a magi- magician. Okay. Because he felt like he wasn't, he lost the passion and the love and the thing that had brought him to it, which was that moment of wonder where someone is almost an adult becomes a child again and is like, yeah, what, what is happening in front of my eyes for a moment? It's real. Like for a moment, magic is real. There's a, there's a moment of wonder that he felt like he could, that, that was what, what had gotten him obsessed with magic. So he went to India, um, for like a year to travel around and, try to recapture the moment of wonder he was going to visit like a specific magician there and all this stuff but he 
was really surprised by how he was greeted in the culture of India. It was a lot of people were really against him being there and doing any sort of like little tricks he would do on the street. People, people, because there was a culture of there had been for many years the snake oil salesman. Yeah, of someone who tricks you and takes your money and sells you a thing that doesn't uh-huh. work. Yes, and. He was just trying to do magic for the sake of like uh, of love of that um the it's sense just like of a, wonder yeah the sense of wonder this really positive this really um beautiful idea yeah and he was surprised at this culture that existed around um people being like get like get out of this town like sometimes he would do a trick and he mm-hmm. would be kicked out of the town um and I guess that's all what I'm trying to say is that there's a thin line between when you're, I, I guess part of why maybe people are afraid of myth making is because there is a thin line between making a beautiful myth uh-huh. and making a destructive myth. Okay. Let's talk about con artistry. Okay. Okay. Because I, I think that, I think that I kind of want to break that down, that mm-hmm. distinction, because I think that, like, to go and say this is good, this is bad, mm-hmm. is a a really narrow lens to view it. Because sometimes when someone just be spitting, you know, uh, it's you have to appreciate the beauty of it. Yeah, and I mean, that, like, part of the human experience is to be tricked and is to be like stolen from. Well, I would say that that is what religion serves and that's like i'm sure a very but it's a my my experience of doing sound at churches has been like you know i was not raised in in a church right and so i come at it at a very like what is happening and i watch these people that are really masterful talkers yes oh and they're stealing money that's how i would separating and the thing and like so the thing is is that that sounds like i'm making like a very harsh judgment call but you have to, if you... Well, it serves a major function in the people's lives yes. positively yes. that they're stealing money from, which is, I don't yeah. know how to feel about that. Like, I mean, did you uh, did you watch Righteous Gemstones? Yeah. Okay, so like that's a really good like framing tool because there is an acknowledgement that they are like con artists, the, the gemstone family. And they're like a TV... And the yeah, TV televan- preachers, televangelists. Yeah. They're making lots of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is, is that I think that there's like a very, there's like a Redditor, like fedora atheist way to view that whole thing and be like, fuck them. Uh, and there has been like media and television produced around that lens of yeah. viewing the like evangelical con man phenomena. But Righteous Gemstones, like, zooms in on the family in a way that it both acknowledges that they mm-hmm. are thieves and charlatans and everything while also not uh like uh approaching the characters with them. vitriol yeah you know and that's i think that that's a way that's a great way to you know view the myth of life mm-hmm. uh is to uh like appreciate the humanity and the overall, like, part of the story that these roles are playing. Yeah. Uh, so, biggest con artist, I think, to, in the modern era, Charles Ponzi. 
uh, the original Ponzi scheme? Technically, the second Ponzi scheme. It's just that he did it in a way that, you know, got it named after him. Legendary. What happened to the first guy? Uh, he just did it a little. He made like a million dollars. It was the, what? I think, like the more 510% scandal of the late 1800s. Okay. And, you know, it's something clunky like that. And it just doesn't like roll off the tongue like Ponzi scheme. Right. Do you know the story of Charles I, Ponzi? I do not at all. Okay. Yeah. Because it's a thing that, like, you know, people say all the time. It's Ponzi a Ponzi scheme. scheme. Okay. It's a Ponzi yeah, yeah, scheme. Yeah. Tell me. The, the thing story. is, is Charles Ponzi kind of fucking slaps. Okay. <laughs> So, Italian immigrant, early 1900s, he uh, got on the boat, uh, he gambled away his life savings on the boat, (laughs) like, between Italy and America. So, he's just living. He's living, he loses all of his money except for $2.50, and then the quote is, I had $2.50 in my pocket, but a million dollars worth of dreams. Uh, And his family had been nobles and rich like up until the 1700s and then they fell to poverty but they still kept their they were all gambling away their money in three seconds and (laughs) uh he rolls in to you know do the american dream uh he likes to gamble he's not great with money but he does get an honest job working for a bank all right Ah. and the manager of the bank institutionalized stealing money yeah okay right uh uh he's doing a he's running a five percent interest uh savings plan thing Mm -hmm. uh which is you know at the time like five times higher than any other bank and people are like "Ooh, let's do that but then it turns out that he's just taking money from mortgage payments and then paying out the interest to people uh, that it invested. So he's doing like... So he's the original Ponzi scheme. Everyone's just kind of doing this, okay? Uh, yeah, that's... I mean, that's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, that that's a Ponzi scheme. Okay. Uh, and but he hadn't met the Char- Ponzi of the Ponzi scheme. Charles he Ponzi just... is working for this manager. Okay. And the manager, uh, the bank manager, like, gets run out of town. Unnamed. Yeah. Yeah. He's just doing a little... He's just doing a little stealing. Yeah, he didn't make the myth. He did not myth make. He was doing the same thing, but just not. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Ponzi's like interesting. Yeah. Noted. Lost to history. Uh, and then he kind of bounces from job to job. He winds up going to jail for writing himself a bad check from a, he just like wandered into a warehouse that was abandoned and he found a checkbook and he's like, let's print some money. And they fucking clapped him. All right. Ponzi. Ponzi. Yeah. In jail. He's in jail. He gets out of jail. He does some more like petty theft and everything, winds up in jail again. Mm-hmm. He meets a uh, Charles Morse, who's a banker and he's involved in like the Tammany Hall stuff. So he's like buying politicians. He's doing big bribes. He's doing, you know, bank theft and all of that. And when he meets Charles Ponzi, he's like, your problem is, is that you're not stealing big enough. All right. Which is true. I mean, that's like a lesson of of uh, the history of America is that when people steal very big, they get uh, very little consequence. And when you do yes. small theft, you end up in jail. Yeah. And Charles Morris, uh, uh, he famously just faked being sick all the time. He just eats soap and be like, I feel bad. And then they let him out of jail early because he was just doing, you know, financial crimes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So. Ponzi leaves that stint to jail and he's like, I should. I should just steal bigger. So he uh, he comes up with his scheme. 
And uh, there are these things called international relay coupons, uh, which are like international stamps, basically. Yeah. Okay. Is this what that Adam Sandler movie is based on? There's an Adam Sandler movie about this? I don't know. Keep telling me the story. Okay. I might be All right. very off. Myth maker at large, right. Adam Sandler. So <laughs> international re- relay coupons, they are able to be exchanged for stamps in like a multinational uh, like agreement. Yeah. And because of hyperinflation after World War I, uh, there's a locked price for the stamp, but it's slightly higher and slightly lower in different nations. So uh-huh. if you can get the, the IRC to a different country and then exchange it through arbitrage, you can wind up making a profit of like half a cent per stamp. Okay. Uh, but if you did it in mass, that's just, you're just printing money. Yeah, this is sort of... Which Adam Sandler movie I, is this? I will look it up. Okay. <laughs> Does it? Isn't there one where he sees something in a catalog, and he's got a clicker? He's it, got a. Isn't that just click? Punch. Oh no, no no no! Sorry. Okay, I'm confusing too. Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. That's a good movie. Doesn't he do it, is some he doing sort a of scheme? Is he doing a scam? Am I just making this part up? I don't know. I haven't Go watched on it in with a while. This story. So. He sees a thing that is kind of worth money, but mm-hmm. you need to invest a lot of money into it to in order money. for it to make money. So he starts pitching this as his thing. He has a theoretical way of exchanging money across borders uh, that theoretically is worth money, but you just have to invest actual money into it, which, I don't know, crypto's a thing. So... Uh, People start going like, yeah, let's let's do it. And he says, okay, so I'm going to buy a bunch of these fucking stamps. And uh, if you leave your money with me for three months, I'll give you 50% back, um, like on top of your original investment. But mm-hmm. if you leave it for six months, we'll do 100%. People are like, sounds fucking good. That's crazy. Uh, and... He's taking in all this stuff, and then he starts Ponziing. He pays people out of because money is rolling in because people are hearing about this initial like, ooh, IRCs. Yeah. He's figured out the IRCs, crazy. Uh-huh. What a great financial instrument. And then he just starts taking the fresh money and giving it to the early investors. And he's doing this and doing it and doing it well. And it's lasting, uh, like I think, a few years. Is the actual scheme anything? Like, Can he actually exchange this money? No, <laughs> it does not work. It, oh it either God. doesn't work or he never bothers doing it because he just figures out that, oh, I can make all this fucking money. But the thing is, is that the extent of the Ponzi scheme is actually incredible because he uh, there's a bank that early on he wants to get a loan mm-hmm. for the IRC scam. And they're like, no, this is stupid. Right. <laughs> like the the scale at which you would have to do this, that it would actually devalue the thing like. Um, in order for the money to be made, there would have had to be something like 5 million stamps in circulation, but uh-huh. at the time there were only 20,000. Like, there is no scale, there is no pool for this to, to happen. Yeah. Like, it doesn't exist. Dumb idea. Yeah, the asset isn't there. So the bank is like, this is math. And he's like, fuck you. And he starts scamming people. He buys the bank. Holy shit. Yes. 
he buys the controlling interest in the bank and starts giving himself loans. Oh my God. Yes. So he's taken in money from people. He has bought a bank. A newspaper investigates him because this is crazy. This is happening like at this point across the Eastern seaboard. He's uh-huh. assembled an entire sales team. Wow. He has like uh, offices in New Jersey, offices in Boston, offices in New York. This isn't like, this isn't a rinky dink, like, hey, I'm on the street. Uh, give me your money today and I'll give you money tomorrow. Like, he is operating an entire, like, business empire. Yeah. All right. The Ponzi scheme is pretty fucking big. And he's bought a bank, he bought a wine company, he bought a macaroni plant. He's, Thinking that maybe he could make legitimate money on wine and macaroni, but that's also not paying off. <laughs> so people are starting to knock on his door and be like, what's going on? You're kind of like becoming like a big, powerful figure here. Yeah. Um, are people pulling money in? Uh, so a newspaper investigates. Okay. They publish a story. He sues them for libel. Hell yeah, he does. And wins. This is the Trump playbook. Yes. $500,000 in like the early 1900s bankrupts the fucking newspaper. Of course. You know? And the, so the thing is the people are like mm, a little concerned, you know, like, hey, yeah. we, we want to pull our investment early. And he makes a giant fucking show of it. Like they're lined up like outside of the SEC. He uh-huh. does name it the Securities Exchange Company. Uh, so uh, fucking they're, they're like. Wait, outside. his company he named <laughs> yes. the SEC? Yes, he did. Oh my yes, god! He did. You can do that. Uh, I mean, this is the early like. I think this is actually like pre like actual SEC. So he Wait, just like he founded the SEC before the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> How is this possible? Uh, Does SEC not actually stand for that? It's Security Exchange Commission. Oh. He was the Security Exchange Company. company. All right. So. Uh, they're outside one of the offices, and there, there's like a, you know it's the early 1900s. There's like a bunch of guys in hats going rah rah rah, give us our money, you mm-hmm. know. And he, he goes out, he gets them all coffee and donuts, and just pays them out like on the spot. He's like, okay, I get it. We've had some bad press. Let's let's you know, yeah. we'll just take care of this. And they leave, and then people are like, seems like it's not a lie. They give them more money, right? <laughs> it's like coming in, uh, and. By the end of it, he is making a million dollars a day, not adjusted, uh, not adjusted for inflation. He's like, it's that's like twenty time? million dollars a day in now money. Uh, it, this is the like nineteen eighteen. Crazy. Yes, he is pulling shit down, uh, and then basically, like the government gets involved, uh, and they they go, like, this isn't you know, this isn't fucking real, right? Okay. Uh, this isn't real. Let's go to jail, sir. And uh, he goes to jail for like a couple years. Mm-hmm. Like that's he steals like the equivalent of uh, like three hundred to five hundred million dollars, and he goes to jail for a couple of years because if you're gonna steal, steal big. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he went to jail at all. Yeah, he did. He went to jail a little bit. Uh Uh, And then he, like, got out on, like, bail or parole or something and kind of does, like, a states don't talk to each other early 1900s and just goes to Florida Uh, where he does another scheme. The classic. And he starts selling swampland. He can't just rest at this point. No, he he does not. Because he's a con Artist. Yeah, it's not okay, a con because man. it's not about it's not a artist. It's not about the money. Uh-huh. Like it's about the it's about the vibe. 
Right. The problem is the real people. Oh, sure. Whatever. <laughs> like, lose there. But yes, I understand. Yeah. Right. So uh, he's in, he goes to Florida. He sells Swampland. He's in jail seven months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, they They start, like, figuring out all the crimes that he's done. They charge him for, like, 10 counts of larceny and three separate trials. He represents himself. Wins two out of three. Wow. Yeah, because that's, he's, that's a classic he's wheeling and dealing movies. with the jury. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay? They like him. Uh-huh. Like, it's important to note that, like, he was a likable guy. Right. He was a yeah. performer. Uh-huh. And people liked it. And, like, this, you know, he goes to jail a little bit. He goes back to Italy. He kind of retires. You know, whatever. And there's, like, a final interview with him. Yeah. And the quote is really good. Okay, give it to me. Even if they never got anything for it, it was cheap at that price. Without malice aforethought, I had given them the best show that was ever staged in their territory since the landing of the Pilgrims. It was easily worth 15 million bucks to watch me put the thing over. That is his last, like, those are his last words on planet Earth as far as we're concerned. And I kind of agree. It's about the show, baby. It's that was the price of admission. <laughs> and the thing is, is that like when you read about it, uh, you know, people that were like normal ass people, they're like, here's twenty five bucks, which was, you know, like a few hundred bucks for us, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and then there were like some bigger fish, like a like a banker in Lawrence that did ten grand. Mm-hmm. But kind of like to each according to their own, you know. They're they're shelling it out. Yeah, he was like, "This is you know, uh, sliding scale tickets to the show about me." Yeah, and so the thing <laughs> is, dreaming is big. We, we just say Ponzi scheme uh-huh. kind of offhand, but when you actually read, like the reason that he pulled it off, because there were people that have done like pay me now and I'll pay you later things, like that's happened throughout the the yeah. history of mankind, but they're not, they didn't get called a Ponzi scheme. Uh, until Charles Ponzi did it because he made a show of it. Yeah. He was a performer. He myth-made. He wasn't just lying about money. He was selling a lifestyle. (laughs) I mean, which I guess you could say is what's happening with, like, Instagram influencers that are like, look at me, you know, because, like, there's the whole, like, influencers renting a plane and pretending The, the Firefest they... guy just got out of jail. Yeah. He's going to do it again. Uh-huh. And, and people will buy in again. They'll buy in again. But, Somehow. And wasn't it kind of worth it to watch him do it? For me, I didn't buy in. Right. But, well, but when you watch, like, the interview with the people that, like, bought in and stuff, they, uh-huh. they have a look in their eye. Like even when the guy's like, I was gonna, I was gonna blow that dude for for a water truck. He he still was. He wasn't like, I hate you, Billy. He uh-huh. was like, Billy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's like it's like the it's an amazing story. Like yeah. And I guess and you get to be part of the story. <laughs> and isn't that the point of living? Like if to you haven't lived a life uh-huh. where you have to blow a border agent in order for a water truck to like <laughs> nourish these starving like wayfish models or whatever, what's the point of living? What's the point? What what is the point? Yeah, it was worth the price of the show. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are people. I I I don't I don't disagree on the like uh, you know. I think that myth making is the most important part of existence. Um, but 
I do think that I'm sure in some of these scenarios, like in a Bernie Madoff and things like that, people did not feel like it was worth the price of the show. I don't know if you were if you were personally ripped off right. by Bernie Madoff. Uh, email the podcast. I don't heart radio. I think some people uh, tell me your sad story, and also I've got a new shit coin to sell you. Uh, so the thing is, uh, I, do you know the world's longest running Ponzi scheme? No. Lou Pearlman, manager of Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Uh huh. Do, do you know this shit? No, is the Ponzi scheme just getting girls to like in sync? No, no. He was running a literal Ponzi scheme. Okay. Uh, he started by like ripping off a guy that ran a blimp company in Germany. What? And then just start, like that was in the late 80s. And then he was just running this constant investment uh, uh, scheme, just literally a Ponzi scheme. He was just doing like, if you invest with me today, I will give you this return invest in, in six what? months. Invest in World Limited Company International or whatever. Just like invest with me. Uh-huh. He's going around being like, invest with me, invest with me, invest with me. And then he's like 15 years into this Ponzi and he's accumulated a lot of money and then goes, oh, I'm going to get into the entertainment business. Uh, new Kids on the Block was cool 12 years ago when I was a young man. Let's do it again, but like my style. And he forms, he does like industry plant stuff. He just makes like, well, this is a boy band, Backstreet Boys. And it becomes the biggest band on the fucking planet. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then he f- he does the same thing in sync. He launches Britney Spears' career. Like the entire like music history post 2000 is entirely due, I-, I would say, stems from Lou Pearlman's money and Lou Pearlman's fucking Ponzi scheme. So it's still happening? He got caught in 2008. Did uh, he go to jail? Yeah, he went to fucking jail. Uh, and uh, he did die in jail, like heart attack stuff. Mm. Uh, he was, But he was old, okay? Uh, he lived a good life. And he had, Eventful. Uh, like through forensic accounting, like this Ponzi scheme that lasted, uh, like again, world's longest Ponzi scheme, like 25 years. <laughs> world's longest, <laughs> Guinness Step right world's, up. yeah. Uh, it had stolen approximately a billion dollars, and there are still three hundred million that are completely unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, is that like by the time he's he's run this Ponzi so hard that by the time that the Backstreet Boys are the biggest selling band on planet Earth, yeah, and he's also stealing their money. He's given them a very bad deal. I'm sure. Um, he is he's the sixth member of the Backstreet Boys. Wait. I- Actually? Yes. Like on, on paper? On paper, yes. He got one sixth of all of the like mechanical royalties wow. and everything because he was a backstreet boy. Uh-huh. Uh and then manager fees, uh, promoter fees, like all of that on top of being a backstreet the boy. sixth backstreet yeah. boy. And so the thing is is that uh he's still fucked financially. Like even with all of that money and stealing all that money from the Backstreet Boys, he has stolen so much money at that point that he cannot uh keep the Ponzi going. Yeah, that's how it's he gets caught. Always gotta yeah. grow and you can't always grow because at yeah. some point Oh but, but I mean there's legitimate income uh-huh. coming from the Backstreet Boys. Like he's not just yeah. ripping but he's also still ripping people off. Uh-huh. He's still also running the Ponzi. Uh so that shaped music history, that Ponzi scheme man. Yeah. I wonder if his approach, because Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears are all clearly like 
it's myth made in a very specific way for teenage, you know, yeah, kids. But it's a, it's such a sculpted persona. All of that, all of that era was like very sculpted personas. It was like a casted. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just like this person, and I guess like all of A&R is, is casting. It's musical casting. Right. But um, it seemed like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, those specifically are like, they were formed, right? They weren't like groups that got oh, together. Yeah, yeah, they were and then, formed yeah. by Lou Pearlman, mm-hmm. a yeah. literal con artist. Yeah. Uh, and th- But that's the importance it. kind of makes it. me think of, you remember how they had the like build the band thing on, uh, I forget what the show was called, but it was like P. Diddy. Yeah. ran it yeah, which yeah, is yeah. like sort of i don't know if he's ever been busted for any sort of like uh, I but i don't he's... think that p diddy has any straight up financial crimes but you know his... he's so into myth making because yes. he always changes the name it's puff daddy p sean diddy combs. sean combs yeah now i'm and it depends. now i'm authentic because uh-huh. that's my that's my birth name now right. we're in the authentic era yeah, yeah. but no he's totally like He's such a myth maker, and then that like I, I didn't I remember that was like a part of you know they're forming the this is the myth of this the, uh, that was Pussycat Dolls right yeah yeah it was made on that show yep yeah uh but I mean that is interesting like specifically Sean Combs like uh, that does point to like the overarching narrative of now is that uh because I think that he changed his name uh, like again to like rebrand as authentic uh-huh. because people were like P Diddy are you you know are you maybe up to some stuff? And he's yeah. like, no, I'm Sean Combs. That's me. I'm not lying. Mm-hmm. I'm authentic now. And the thing is, that kind of fucking worked. Like, I don't think that there's been any, uh, you know, like, you know, Sean Combs scandals. I have no idea. Uh, because people are just like, oh, yeah, you're not lying. You, your new brand is not lying. So you couldn't possibly be lying. Well, and I think there's that, but there's also just like literally going through different eras as an artist as you get older and go through different eras in your life. Like Kanye has reflected all of his different eras. eras You know, and it's like, I think that that's great. That's cool. It's because you can grow with an artist or you can separate. It it is a relationship, the fan and the artist. Absolutely. And as the artist is indicating their changes... You know, you you sometimes you change and the artist doesn't. Sometimes they change and you, you don't. Yeah, and it's like, a, yeah, it's a it's a two way relationship. But signifying those changes through myth making, it's not just you know renaming, rebranding. It's like it's the whole deal, and it's being aware of the whole deal. Yes, as you uh, go about the process. So. Let's just, we've got, you know, Home Phone, which again, best album of this week, like by far. I'm excited to listen to it now. Yeah. You have hyped it up. It sounds really good. Uh-huh. It's, you know, they're doing like the kind of like dream pop, like Juno synth thing. Uh, I'm but a it fan. sounds, it sounds really fun. I mean, good. I like the dream yeah. pop Juno synth thing. First five tricks, first five tracks. Very, very good. Um, but let's just wrap this around to something wholesome. Okay. Bowie. Mm-hmm. So, Bowie understood, I think, myth better than most. Yeah. And uh, late career Bowie is really fun and interesting because uh, there's like the, the the hits of the 70s. And yeah. then um, 
it, it's just kind of a fun bit of trivia where uh, he just fucking hated his label uh, by the end of it. Yeah. And he did not want them to make a dime. Uh, and he was locked into like a 10-year contract. Mm -hmm. So he just focused on, and this is like from the late 70s to the like mid to late 80s, just focused on making art. Yeah. All right? And there are some albums that, from that era that are like very, very like deeply personal and very, very interesting. It's his early like Eno collabs. Um, and, but also definitely wasn't going to chart. Okay? Right. They are not pop records, and it was like a deliberate like twist of the knife of like I'm not going to put out I'm not anything. Make you money? Yeah, I'm 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 focused on art. And then the thing is, is uh, the moment that he ends that contract in the late '80s, he puts out "Let's Dance," which is a pop banger. Uh -huh. Like it's not like he forgot how to make pop music. Yeah, he was just like "fuck you" for ten years, uh -huh. like deliberately, like no money for you, money for me. And uh, so that's like late 80s Bowie and then like 90s Bowie. He's just obsessed with the internet um, and makes his own message board. He's one of the first people to like do that. He has his own ISP, BowieNet. You could, like he he did like early what? Comcast. Yes. Are you serious? I'm totally fucking serious. Does it still exist? I don't think so, no. Wow. But yeah, you could pay, you could pay Bowie 20 bucks a month for internet. Where just like in because it has to connect yeah. into a yeah 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 no he he just he was running an ISP but like where where was it it has to be in a place I mean it was, was it like America just somewhere in America yeah how did he tap into the infrastructure like how Comcast taps into the infrastructure but I thought that's how it's hard to start an ISP is because it's like yeah really but this was the nineties. Okay. This was before, like, again, we live in the now times and we yeah, live in a very shit. Yeah, it's just a monopoly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in the 90s, you could just be David Bowie and yeah. be like, I'm going to do an ISP. I'm I want to know more about this, but okay. Yeah, I guess so, that's probably a different thing. Uh -huh. But so the thing is, like, the, the overarching point is, like, 90s Bowie, pretty fucking fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's just doing stuff. And he meets a uh, uh, an artist, William Boyd, mm -hmm. and they come up with an idea. That name sounds really familiar. Yeah, he's like a big like art writer, uh, journalist now. Yeah, uh, and he was friends with David Bowie, uh -huh. so you know that's gonna pop you up. Uh, they decide to pull off uh, like a nice fun prank con. Okay, okay. like and get it. Like I think that Bowie is essentially a con artist. Uh huh. Okay, like that's what he's pulling from at all times. Yeah. Uh, and. They make up an artist, uh -huh. like uh, Nat Tate, all right, mm -hmm. and they myth make. It's uh, they write an entire biography about Nat Tate, okay, about like this tortured artist that like did his works from 1945 until his untimely death in 1960. Okay, and, like, oh Nat they killed Nat Tate too. Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like it's a retrospective uh -huh. on like how it like glossed over and important and like oh the substance abuse and like all yeah. the bad stuff. And his final act as an artist was to destroy ninety nine percent of his works. And oh, there's just this one Nat Tate left, uh -huh. and we're like we could sell it. Uh, and uh, they they like do the uh, Bowie forms a publishing company uh -huh. for the sake of publishing this book. Okay, and like puts it out. 
and they do like a uh, fucking art world, the, the whole razzmatazz. They okay. get everyone together. They do like a reading part party at uh-huh. Bowie's house. And yeah, Bowie yeah. like reads from it. It's like very dramatic. And they're going to do like a showing and an exhibition. Uh, one of the people that was in on it blew it up before they actually sold the Nat Tate because no. they, were like, they were like, we're about to do a crime. <laughs> oh, like it. Technically, it's fraud. Yeah, fraud. It, it, the moment that we sell this, it's fraud, and like up until then, it's but performance it's fu- art. It's so fun. It's performance art until it's fraud. <laughs> and uh, so Bowie published it, and he wrote like the foreword, uh-huh. uh, and it's really this. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, the quote from it is. The small oil I picked up on Prince Street, New York, must indeed be one of the lost third panel triptychs. So he's referring, like, Bowie found the art, you yeah. know? Uh, the great sadness of this quiet and moving monograph is that the artist's most profound dread, that God will make you an artist, but only a mediocre artist. But this did not, in retrospect, apply to Nat Tate. Isn't that fucking good? Yeah, that's great. Like, that's that's the, it's good writing. The fucking truth. Uh-huh. Of, like, so that's, he's, Bowie is beaming truth through his fucking lie. Yeah. You know, he's able to actually explore this kind of, like, what if I didn't make it yeah. thing. Like, he's actually, he's telling us something about himself that's uh-huh. profoundly intimate through it this is a lie. Yeah. This is on its way to being a it's, international yeah, crime. Right. Uh <laughs> But this is truer Uh than like anything that Bowie could have expressed at that time because Mm -hmm. he was David Bowie in late 90s. He had his own ISP, you know, he's super powerful. He's at the height, but he still feels like at any point he isn't at his like highest creative output and that God is cursing him. And the only way to like put that into words and out into the world is to make up a fake artist that failed. Right. Isn't like that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's yeah. myth making. Yeah. Well, I think that this might truly be the best episode this ever. Is the best episode ever. Yeah. So, uh, if you have any uh, complaints or want to fight about it or want to invest in uh, I Don't Heart Radio coin, just email I Don't Heart Radio Pod at gmail.com. Send uh, us a band we should know about. Send yeah. us a. Uh, myth that we should be aware of. Um, send us something you're thinking of investing in, and you need some, f- you know, financial. This fiduciary, is not financial advice. Uh, advisor. Oh yeah, from you know, from a. W- we just ask a net tape magic. Oh, I was CPA. gonna say a magic eight ball, but oh, okay. yeah, net tape same CPA. <laughs> um, this has been I Don't Heart Radio. So